imagine a, a scenario, a different movie in which the projections are manifested in different ways other than people with guns shooting at you. You know, like in, in a more fantastical film, like maybe a projection could be like, I don't know, a fire breathing dragon and they have to slay the dragon in order to, I don't know, like in order to get the information that they need. Like you, you could imagine a, a film that had like clever scenarios throughout that just offered more variety. It, we're dealing with the entire world of dreams. You'd think there would be more imagination at play, but it seemed like that's all the movie really offers is shots that Nolan thought would look excellent in a trailer. It just seems like the dreams don't really feel like dreams aside from a couple trippy visuals. You know what I mean? The Epic Film Guys Podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Epic Film Guys Podcast. And we are here to celebrate once again ladies and gentlemen because justin is not here he said that he sucked the blood nope. from the penis and not the here balls in his mouth. he's gone he is not here we kicked him out we chased him away we got rid of him so i of course am nick and i am joined ladies and gentlemen by the one the only god of podcasting oh yes it is i your God. <laughs> now you're going to die. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Loisos, how are you? I'm doing very well, Nick. How are you? Are you surviving in COVID-2 COVID electric Puka Puka? <laughs> you mean <sighs> COVID-1, the original classic? The extended cut. <laughs> extended cut. <laughs> the, the director's... <laughs> good the director's cut uh, um I, I suppose i i i i've been stress buying a lot of things and that's that's not good um i i was really good starting out but it's like what's gonna bring me comfort what's gonna bring me any semblance of comfort in my life right now but other than that i'm doing very well i'm recording live right now from winston-salem north carolina um visiting my my family during this time and so I'm enjoying that, but I brought none of my regular recording equipment. So this is <laughs> this is an adventure. Pack them in real good and tight. I think we'll That's be right. okay. You know why? Because just because Justin's not here. I you feel like we can we can we can celebrate. We can we can go we can go crazy whenever he's not here. Well, we're not only celebrating the 10th anniversary of Christopher Nolan's Inception. We're also celebrating the fact that Justin is not here and 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 you know um i'd be i'd be very curious to hear what the reasoning is for him not being here because he wouldn't tell me <laughs> so i wonder if i'll ever find out we discussed it's, this over in the pre-roll ladies and gentlemen so you can catch that when the replay hits over on youtube once i export it over there but i feel like it has something to do with a massive erection that won't go away because of the release of a huge horror box set that's I, right you know that's that's i mean it's a certain a certain Friday the Thirteenth announcement. Uh, hey, no. What what came out today, and thus Justin's dong erupted from his pants, ripped his underwear, tore it to shreds. Probably made a mess. It's probably why he's probably still cleaning it up. He's probably he's probably wondering what we're doing right now. That's right, Justin. It's, we're talking about your penis, which is 
par for the course on yeah. the Epic Film <laughs> Welcome Guys Welcome to the podcast. Epic Film Guys podcast. Yeah. <laughs> It's another week, another another bunch of dong talk. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are absolutely, absolutely thrilled. Yes, we're going to be talking about the 10th anniversary of Christopher Nolan's Inception. And I don't know, I think just a, just a lot of other little things, a lot of other little things to, to kind of throw at you. We did talk about this extensively in the pre-roll. So again, head over to YouTube or you can catch the replay on Twitch or, or wherever. But I just want to mention it here on the main show as well. As of recording day today, they did confirm that Naya Rivera of Glee, who, you know, Lois Austin and myself both were, were huge, huge fans of, uh, her body was finally found after an exhaustive five-day search, and she has been confirmed to have passed away, drowned in a terrible, terrible, terrible accident at the age of 33, which is just again utterly heartbreaking we talked a lot about it in the pre-roll shared our thoughts about glee and 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 a lot of different stuff but just terrible terrible tragedy rest in peace absolutely and rest in peace kelly preston as well passed away from breast cancer fuck cancer we talk about the live stream for the cure so so often on the show and i know well people are still waiting for their prizes they're coming ladies and gentlemen they're coming they are coming. Uh, I've, I've finally got everything kind of organized so I can, I can start getting prizes and, and, and whatnot out. But yeah, it's uh, that that's a future immune to cancer hashtag immune to cancer. Like I believe in that future. I want that future to exist. I want that future to be a reality. That's why we put so much work in and we do so much to raise money for the cancer research Institute every year. But yeah, Kelly Preston, John Travolta's wife, you know, actress, just, you know, I, two years battling breast cancer. Imagine a world where that's no longer a thing. You know, just fuck cancer, man. Fuck 2020 in general, I feel. Yep. I feel like everybody's just had enough of your shit in 2020. Get out. Like, we're fucking through with you. Well, seriously, at, <laughs> at least it's more than half over at this point. Yeah, it is. It is. It is more than half over, but which makes you wonder what 2021 will be like. Nothing but sunshine and rainbows. Sunshine and rainbows (laughs) and lollipops. Yes. But uh, speaking of speaking of uh, COVID a little bit earlier there, uh, myself and Randy from Miserable Retail Slave, we haven't sat down to record it yet, but uh, he and I have been keen ever since. Like back in October, November, like right around the time when my divorce was just just settling in or my separation, whatever you want to call it, was just kicking in there. Uh, you know, he reached out to me and he wanted to do a, a podcast review of Stephen King's The Stand miniseries. Have you ever seen The Stand, Loy Sauce? Have you ever read I the watched book? it for the I watched it for the first time back in March. Wait. Oh, yeah, wow. I watched it. Yeah, I watched it for the first time uh, back in March. And uh, uh, I thought it was all right. I liked elements about it. Good cast. Uh, but I think the, its weaknesses stemmed from King's writing and the fact that his climaxes are extremely anti-climactic um, and Fair. often involve deus ex machina. And it's very frustrating at having spent, you know, or, whatever or trash it was. can man ex machina in this case, but. But like spending six hours or however long it is in, invested in a story and have it end so uh, just casually and I don't know it just 
Stephen King, to me, has always had problems sticking the landing. He sets up compelling characters in a scenario that gets you instantly hooked, but he's not usually able to deliver, as much as I love his prose. It's going to be interesting whenever they... uh... So they they filmed it. It actually wrapped in March, and I didn't know this. So I was doing research for the episode I'm going to record with Randy, and I don't want to get too much into it because obviously we'll save a lot of that for that. But they finished filming. It's a ten part limited series that CB. It's going to be on CBS All Access, which means I resisted it for Star Trek. I, I I wouldn't sign up for it for Star Trek, but I have to for the stand because I love it so 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 much. Even though it'll be weird seeing somebody else as East Texas and not Gary Sinise. I love him in that miniseries. Yep. But Gary Sinise, by the way, is hot. That dude is just handsome. Meow. I have a lot of problems with the miniseries as well. Not, I mean, Trash Can Man, Ex Machina, for one thing. I, I don't disagree with you there. But I think the other biggest thing about that is the fact that it's just that miniseries format kind of doesn't really let you get into it as much as you possibly could but the new limited series i guess is going to be 10 hours on cbs all access debuting they're not sure when sometime this year most likely because again it did wrap production in march before uh, covid shut everything down so you know i'm I'm really 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 looking forward to that Uh, but that'll be something that's going to be hitting sometime soon i'll you of course you'll find out on efg social media i've got nick's watch list coming back with pd wheat straw can't wait to Pee watch that. Straw. <laughs> the Devil's Son-in-Law. <laughs> My favorite Rudy Ray Moore film. I'm so, so excited. I I, I cannot wait to watch it. Big Red 1 uh, celebrated 40 years. I recorded a retrospective of that with Brad from the Cinema Guys, as well as Waterworld, which is just <laughs> as good as you remember it being. It certainly is a motion picture. It's, yeah, it certainly looks like it was the most expensive debacle of all time of its day. (laughs) It looks that way. Yeah. But it also is that way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my Lord. So all that stuff is coming. Plus, uh, I think you guys talked about doing another B-side. At some point. We've talked about a lot of things. Uh, to be honest, this North Carolina trip kind of derailed a lot of my plans. I had announced a video that I was going to do. And then, of course, um, I, I agreed to help my mom move into her new place and all of that. So um, it, more content is coming with the belt now. from mm. Justin and myself, the sauce. Uh, but everything just got pushed back a little bit. So keep keep your eyes peeled. We have stuff planned. Definitely keep them peeled. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I want to cut into a quick break here. We're going to cut into a break. We're going to do some EFG history clips, roll some fun stuff for you. And I'm also going to chuck a promo in here somewhere. If I can get it from them, I'm going to pester them. But uh, our good friends from the Knicks cast are once again doing their race against time where they play Chrono Trigger, the greatest RPG ever made or one of the greatest RPGs ever made. uh, For 24 hours to raise money for a great cause this year for the Trans Lifeline. Uh, which is a you know a helpline for for trans people to call when they have issues. So they're going to be trying to raise twenty three hundred dollars from the eighth uh, to the ninth of August over a twenty four hour period, two twelve hour days basically. 
and I'll be live during the event at some point. I haven't worked out the details with T exactly when that'll be, but I will, you know, of course, again, on social media, let all you guys know, but I'm going to chuck a promo for that in here as well. So you guys can make sure you mark your calendars and please come out and support an amazing, amazing event. They are amazing guys. They're so supportive of us as a podcast, as well as the live stream for the cure. They've been on the live stream for the cure for the past two or three years. I can't No, I think the last two years, I think for whatever reason, we couldn't work scheduling out with them. Uh, the second year for whatever the for whatever the case may be we just we couldn't get them scheduled or something like that I can't remember but anyway ladies and gentlemen we're going to jump over into a quick break and then when we come back Loy Sauce do you want to take a leap of faith Inception Danny's going to spank you with the belt now now you're going to get spanked with the belt I hope you're happy Begin energy transfer. Huh? The war fields seem to be affected by the pendant. Did I make it back? To that moment? There might still be time. On August 8th and 9th, join me at twitch.tv slash the race against time. Join Chrono, Marl, Robo, Isla, Frog, me, Luca, and a whole cast of other folks from your world in a race against time to stop Lavos, save the world of Chrono Trigger, and raise money for Trans Lifeline. Trans Lifeline is a grassroots hotline and microgrants organization offering direct emotional and financial support to trans people in crisis for the trans community and by the trans community. Every single cent we raise goes to them. In this year's marathon to beat Chrono Trigger 13 times, there will be giveaways, special guests, and more. Our goal is to make it back to the future and raise $2,300 for Trans Lifeline with your help. History as we know it may be changed forever. Please visit raceagainsttime.io for more information about the race or to find out how you can be a part of a future that did not refuse to change. Now, how do I get back? I guess I shouldn't have tinkered with the telepod. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, 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 Justin, you missed my meow song. I don't want to hear your goddamn meow song. Is it the meow, 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 meow? But I worked really hard on it. Do you remember when that commercial would play constantly on television? You must have been about five. I recall it. Yeah. Cats. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you so much for sticking with us here on the Epic Film Guys podcast. Now, if you like the show, if you love the show... If you love Loy Sauce and you just want him to send you a big, big batch of his filthy, filthy socks, then make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a beautiful, wonderful five-star review, and you know, you guys know what'll happen. You gotta squirt that freely. Exactly. So please head over there and give us a five-star review. If you have not Loy Sauce, Justin's not here. We managed to trick him into not showing up another week so we could have some fun talking about what is widely regarded 
as one of the best movies of the last decade, which is now celebrating 10 years as of release day, as of release day for this episode, 10 years since its release, Christopher Nolan's Inception. Well, yes. Um, I'm just, I guess you can celebrate a movie that you don't really like all that much. <laughs> Bitches can't get enough of my stuff. No, no. Your bitches aren't here for you now. You're going to be so mad at me. No, I, I, you know what? I really admire Inception for a multitude of reasons. And, and to put it in perspective, I mean, we're talking about a movie that I, that is only 10 years old. So I did get to go see it in the theater. It was, it it did come out in my lifetime, which is a rarity (laughs) (laughs) when we talk about movies on this show. Especially lately. Yeah. On Canon Quarantine. Exactly. So hashtag Canon Quarantine returning next week god in heaven tune in um but yes so this was huge because it was a massive blockbuster with an original concept Uh, well original i use the term original loosely because this is basically a frowny face remake of dreamscape from 1984 starring dennis quaid kate capshaw and max von sydow but that's (laughs) that's beside the point um but you had a movie that's that wasn't based on anything. It wasn't a franchise, wasn't part of a franchise necessarily. So uh, the fact that a massive blockbuster like this released during the summer, um, not based on a recognizable property, was the movie that you had to see was a big deal. Everyone was talking about Inception the summer it came yeah. out. And keep in mind, and this had was to also see- Nolan's follow-up to The Dark Knight as well. That's right. So you just had to see what he did next. Yeah. And uh, it paid off because it was a massive hit, netting over $800 million worldwide. Uh, Its visuals have influenced many a sci-fi blockbuster since, many a fantasy blockbuster since, the most obvious example being the psychedelic twisting architecture in in Marvel's Doctor Strange. Uh, Hans Zimmer's pulse-pounding, eardrum-splitting, brass heavy musical score became endlessly emulated in countless other media especially (laughs) movie trailers dear lord Um, the movie uh, the movie title itself entered our lexicon of slang you know we say nounception somethingception when describing you know something with many layers and and the movie itself has a theatrical (laughs) re-release coming a question mark uh, they they, they had it? planned to they had planned to re-release it in in theaters it was a huge thing as a lead up to tenet which supposedly is still slated for an august yeah, release no it's not somehow i don't see that happening no it's not no california but, just shut down all their th- like there were only like there were only like small independent theaters open in california like a small handful of them comparatively but yeah, I think the governor over there announced today and just with the, with the, with the booming number of cases, I mean, again, it's just one of those things where it's just, it's, everything's going to get shut back down again. Everything's going to grind to a halt again. Who could have possibly seen that coming? No, no one, no one, no one. It's like people, known? it's like people chose to ignore the global pandemic. <laughs> that's happening so anyway uh that we don't need to get into all of that yeah anyway so it the hype surrounding this movie was insane because no one knew what it was about going in yeah uh but 
but the trailers were so intriguing because it hit us with those trippy visuals and what the movie has to offer which i which i think is just a fantastic concept is this noirish heist thriller uh set inside the the world of dreams which is again just a cracking concept for for a blockbuster what a sandbox to play in absolutely and it's a shame that nolan didn't really take advantage of all at his disposal but we can get into that and um but basically for those of you who don't know the maybe 12 people who haven't watched inception uh before but it concerns <laughs> leonardo dicaprio's character dominic cobb who is who is an extractor he uh it basically uh tra- travels into people's dreams into their subconscious uh in search of thoughts that are vulnerable to theft so he's very good at uh espionage because he can extract information from people's subconscious uh so he is approached by ken watanabe's character saito uh and and you're gonna have to help me with this nick because apparently okay so it's never really explained what they do but ken watanabe's character saito has this like corporation he's the head of this company and there's a competitor who has a son uh an heir to the company played by cillian murphy so they saito basically hires cobb to plant the idea in cillian murphy's head to dissolve the company once he acquires it from his father who's ailing right see (laughs) here's here's one of the things about inception that i've never because it and and it's it leaves it to nolan because he doesn't really fully flush it out to us so basically ken watanami's character saito owns a small energy company it's a small energy company and fisher morrow is this massive energy conglomerate that owns like it controls like some ridiculous percentage of the world's energy supply. And Saito wants the company broken up so they can have a bigger and better market share or whatever. Only it doesn't like, okay, Fisher Morrow is all one thing, like fine. But like, why would they like, even if you plant the idea in his head and we can talk about all that stuff as we get into it, but why would they then like, if they break it down into different, like satellite companies they're all still going to have like the same parent company unless you're going to get them and i think this is where nolan like just trips up over the language in it like breaking up the component companies of fisher morrow like but they would all still like i work for a company that is one of many smaller companies under a u.s umbrella which is owned by a global company with stakes in different companies literally all over the world Like, there's all sorts of little satellite companies that filter down. Like, isn't that what it would be? Isn't that what Fisher Morrow would be? Or, like, I think if if Nolan wanted to go into that, like, a little bit better and explain, like, no, he's going to get him to sell the whole thing off. Like, sell off a bunch of the... And I guess you could make that inference, but I don't think the film makes it clear enough. So that might be why you're questioning it. The film does not make many things clear wow. enough. And and here here's the thing. Um, w- we will go on to praise this movie for its many, many aspects that are unmatched in terms of big blockbuster filmmaking like this. Christopher Nolan has a reputation of just being a master of, of these huge, ambitious spectacles. But I... <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) But this movie, okay, so it's not really good manners to talk about other critics, but I'm going to bring him up. There, There is a critic who goes by the name of Lights Camera Jackson, who's been goofed on by many. He came into prominence, I suppose, by a televised review that he did when he was 11 years old of Inception. And he was mercilessly, I want to say bullied by the Howard Stern show. They they said, well, first of all, why is this kid reviewing Inception? This movie is not made for him, which that's a fair point. I feel like when you're 11, you really have no business <laughs> talking about Inception with any kind of insight. But what Jackson focused on in, in his review is how needlessly convoluted this movie is. And I agree with him. I agree with him. I don't, trust me, there are many other Jackson Murphy reviews that I disagree with. And um, again, I know nothing of his character, but I just prefer to watch and listen to other critics when I am searching for film reviews. So I do not look upon Lights Camera Jackson with any kind of authority, but I see where he's coming from because me as a 27-year-old man am confused by this movie. And I've read a lot of other rebuttals saying like, no, actually Inception's very straightforward. I understood everything, which I I, I just, to me, (laughs) I can't really understand because if there is not at least one or two or three times where you're not shouting, what the fuck in the first 20 minutes of the movie... (laughs) then I don't really believe you because, first of all, the whole conceit of the movie, uh, the whole way that Nolan approaches dreams is faulty to me because you can't dream at will. I'm willing to cut cut it some slack as it's a sci-fi movie and we can suspend our disbelief uh, for a heightened or, or far-fetched premise. But the film draws attention to the fact that there are such things as dream architects, which is what Ellen Page's character is recruited to do in the movie. Yes. So these dream architects can plan out what they're going to dream ahead of time. And dreams don't work that way. <laughs> so the whole, even the whole premise of the movie, I think, is is flawed because people can just fall asleep and dream at will. Um, so you know what you're doing right now, Loisos? You're Snowpiercering this movie because this is I, exactly why I hate Snowpiercer because I can't wrap my mind around the core premise of it. Th- that's perfectly fair. I mean, I enjoy Snowpiercer as a visceral action thriller. It's okay, you and can that's, be wrong. You're fine. And I enjoy Inception <laughs> in the same way. Um, so I am not going to spend the entire podcast talking about plot like quibbles i have with the plot because we would be here all yeah i think i don't think you can because you'd kind of you'd be constantly kind of coming back to it every time you did but it is needlessly convoluted because we're by the time the hour and a half mark rolls around we're three levels deep in dreams and and just comparing it again to other movies that deal with this kind of subject matter you have dreamscape and Uh, which (laughs) we'll talk about that too. The fact that there's a lack of variety to the, to the dreams themselves in the movie. So you have dreamscape, which features a gigantic snake human hybrid and dream rape. And then you have 
uh, Tarsum sings The Cell, which is not a stellar film by any means and much, much dumber than Inception is, <laughs> but it utilizes the concept of invading someone's dreams with, and memories with much more, in my opinion, much more creativity and panache. But here, I mean, the, the dreams don't seem like dreams when you usually when you dream you like here there's no nightmares there's no horror there's no latent sexuality there's no wish fulfillment there's no tranquility there's no beauty it's the same scenario over and over again here's a shootout in a rainy city street here's a shootout in a hotel hallway here's a shootout on a snowy mountain and it just to me like it makes the movie makes dreams seem ordinary and i have a problem with that is it, do you think, do you, would, would you, would you argue? And, and this goes even back to what Nolan did with the Batman films. And this is just Nolan as a filmmaker in general about how grounded in reality Nolan likes to make everything. Like he doesn't like the fantastical. He likes to make everything make as much quote unquote real world sense as it can. Do you think that him applying that philosophy to this movie is maybe a little bit of a shortcoming in that respect? Yes. But here's the thing. Uh, I admire what Nolan was trying to do with this movie because I think a lot of it is very intricately put together. But there are projections in this movie. The The projections in the dreams are like the manifestations in your dream of like your subconscious. Right. Thoughts, desires, turn, yeah, like, and all those things, yeah. Yeah, they can turn on you. I just imagine a, a scenario, a different movie in which the projections are manifested in different ways other than people with guns shooting at you. You know, like in, in a more fantastical film, like maybe a projection could be like, I don't know, a fire breathing dragon and they have to slay the dragon in order to, I don't know, like in order to get the information that they need. Like you, you could imagine a, a film that had like clever scenarios throughout that just offered more variety. It, we're dealing with the entire world of dreams. You'd think there would be more imagination at play. And thusly, like the characters in the movie have very muted reactions to the dreams too. Like I understand, like I, I suppose when you're in a dream, the fantastical may seem commonplace, but you have scenes in which like the city is folding in on itself. And like, there's a part where a marketplace just starts spontaneously exploding everywhere. Yep. And there's just very little sense of awe or wonder in the characters. Like in the audience, we have a sense of like, wow, that's a really neat visual, but it seemed like that's all the movie really offers is shots that Nolan thought would look excellent in a trailer it just seems like the dreams don't really feel like dreams aside from a couple trippy visuals. You know what I mean? You you think one of these characters would at least have some kind of sex dream or or something something happen other than oh no, we're being shot at. <laughs> It's the same scenario again and again. And I, I think that that stems from that rule that Nolan kind of implements in the thing. It's that you can't draw attention to the, the, the target, the person that you're trying to extract from. You can't draw attention to the fact that they're within a dream. It's a, it's a huge plot point. In fact, in when they, when they're, when they're trying to do inception, when they're taking and going through the dream levels with Fisher, wherein they can't, they, you know, the, he wants to run the, he wants to run this gambit called Mr. Charles, which essentially as Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character explains is a gambit, which is designed to turn the dreamer against their own subconscious, wherein he will basically reveal to them that they're in a dream and try yeah. to use that and, and, and turn them against them. And then, you know, utilize and bring Fisher in, you know, and to try to further the goal of inception. So I, I think it's, that's maybe Nolan's way of trying to explain 
his way around that. I feel like that's maybe Nolan's way of trying to be like, okay, I, you know, I get that dream space is this infinitely creative landscape where you could literally paint anything on it. Like here's a dragon over here and here's a river made of fire. And here's all these other fantastical elements. But as soon as you start introducing those things, then you as the dreamer or whatever, you're going to immediately know, okay, I'm in a dream because there's a dragon made out of water that's eating the sun or, you know, something like that. I mean, I see what you're saying. I would love it if you take these tools, you take this sandbox and you put other directors in it. I, I would love to see what a, a, a more fantastical director would do with these tools of this shared dreaming kind of thing. And like, think about like an, like a disconnected franchise sort of concept almost where it's all these different things that take place within similar universes but they never intersect. So you don't have to bring the same casts back or whatever, where you have like, here's like the, the, this crazy fantasy version of it. And then, yeah. And then you could throw those fantastical elements in there. I don't know. For me, I get what I get it. I get it. Believe me. Cause I carry, like I said, with a film like Snowpiercer, which everybody loves, I can't stand it because I can't buy the conceit of it because it's too, it just trips something in my brain, it just, it just, it flips, flips the switch that I can't get past. And, and I feel like that's for you, like with the dreaming and stuff, it's like, but wait, but dreaming is this whole massive expansive other thing that you could have tapped into. And you just chose not to in lieu of let me make some really cool action shots and action sequences that are going to deliver to a blockbuster audience. Yeah. And I mean, again, I understand your point to where they're they're the dreams are more grounded because the whole idea of inception is based around espionage and they want to remain covert and not draw attention but that's the problem isn't it because the the stakes of what they're trying to do to me like i don't care about <laughs> you know what i mean like i i don't necessarily care about saito's company at all neither like, do i, I, I frankly and and maybe you're not supposed to really it's just kind of the linchpin to hang everything else i think into that everything else hangs off of with but. this movie i this movie is 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 two things to me and I'll, I'll tell you i'll tell like i'll tell you why i absolutely adore this movie it's because it's ultimately the film's about leonardo dicaprio's cob like ultimately it's about him it's about his wife mall marion cotillard who my lord that woman is gorgeous and it's about his guilt over her death and exactly what that means and exactly all those different elements of that the plot of this film is literally i feel it's a backdrop to it and then the other thing that this film has which maybe you know it doesn't play as well for some audience members as it does for others but about the first 90 to 100 minutes even of this film is Nolan explaining how all of this stuff is going to work. So that way, when you're actually watching it and like when you're seeing the three dream levels and you're seeing all that stuff intercut, it makes sense to you because imagine watching all the stuff like from the plane forward, like when they go under in the first level on the plane, imagine watching that stuff without any context whatsoever for what's going on. 
Imagine that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> so not that saying has that the to movie... do so much heavy lifting in the first like hour and a half, explaining all of these plot points to you to explain how all this stuff works. But for me, all that is is it's just the setting for ultimately what is a really, really, really great character drama. That's why I, I'm a sucker for character dramas. You know this about me. So that's why I link into this film so, so much. So I see all the rest of that stuff. And I do, I love the idea that it's a great sandbox. And I really would have loved to see Nolan get a couple of more toys out in that sandbox and play around with a lot more cool concepts because it's literally infinite potential. If you're talking about the power of dreams, but for me, ultimately, it just goes back to, and you could have done stuff with, like, they could have done a lot of that in Limbo, too. Like, when Cobb and his wife were trapped in Limbo for 50 years, like, that's when you, you could really have just could have made a movie a about that. that. Yeah. That, that, like, the whole the whole heist plot, to me, it, is the excuse for the action sequences. But what, what would have been much more compelling is if I think the movie had focused on that, uh, that, relationship and that time that they spent in limbo and what that does to their relationship because to me i understand that why why you would feel compelled with their relationship but i just don't think the movie does a good enough job to get you invested really because you don't know who mal is you don't really ever see the real mal it's it's the it's the uh, projection of mal so i i just have issues with their relationship to begin with the fact that at one point um well the whole tragedy of the film and, and the whole thing that dicaprio's character is grappling with the entire the entire film what he's kind of coming to terms with and what he's so um just racked with guilt and, and grief is the fact that he watched his wife commit suicide in front of him yeah and she does this because she spends so much time with him in limbo that when she comes out of the when she comes out of limbo um she is still convinced that she's in the dream yep but i'm confused by this again because wouldn't mal have known when she came out of the dream that she wasn't in the dream any longer and like for that matter like, why did she feel that she needed to frame Cobb for her murder? Like, if she was convinced that she was still dreaming, if she had killed herself in the dream, then hypothetically she could just kick Cobb out of the dream when she woke up, right? Like, I know that she was trying to get him to join her in the real world, but that seems pretty screwed up to frame your husband for your murder when you know he's innocent. I guess, <laughs> I don't know. Again, like, I understand the motivations behind it, but it, it just makes to me more convoluted what should have been very simple. You need to have something simple when you're dealing with all these heady sci-fi concepts to, to have something very simple that an audience can gravitate towards. That's why like Titanic and Avatar, like those movies are successful because it's a very simplistic love story in, in, a, in the sense of a grander scale, yep. you know, um, event or story. So to me, it just, I see what Nolan's trying to do and it's very well-performed and Again, we'll get into good things. I'm trying not to be too negative because there is a lot of good, especially as far as that relationship is concerned. Um, but you, you just needed to simplify it. Like to, to me, there's no reason the plot needs to be as convoluted as it is. The love story needs to be as convoluted as it is. I don't know why the movie is two, over two and a half hours long. There's no reason for it. 
I love when Nolan stays under two hours. Memento, Dunkirk, masterpieces. Um, but <laughs> but the, to me, the length of the movie is a problem. The 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 fact that it it should have been so clear. It should have been so clear. But instead, we're left asking questions about this love story that that should just be. We should just feel the emotion from it. You know, I'm kind of curious now. The if I think about it, like what would like. Would that have just been the better movie to just have it be about the core of Cobb and Maul, you know, trapped in limbo and, and all the things that they do there and whatever other different things they run into while they're there and, and, and everything. I wonder if that wouldn't have been the better way to go to kind of simplify the whole kind of process i don't you know and i'm not nolan so i won't try to speak for nolan or whatever so i don't know exactly where all of the impetus for the you know extractors the dream heists the dreams within dreams within dreams within dreams and all these you know different little concepts and everything came from necessarily unless you know the only real thing that i can think of is to kind of take it back to you know it's nolan just really i mean really and then you could argue over explaining but like nolan just really really wanting to make sure that the audience understands the world that they're going into i mean yeah i i get you in in not necessarily caring about fisher's story or not necessarily caring about saito's story i do love the scene at the end with the with the with the pinwheel with the little with the little pinwheel i love I love the idea of uh, it's uh, Tom Hardy's character. Eames is like, you know, he basically says, you know, uh, positive emotion trumps negative emotion every time. Like it's got to be a positive idea so it can be nurtured and so it can grow like this whole idea. So they go after the relationship with the father and then that's where they they plant that whole thing. And I mean, realistically, even though it does vilify his godfather in the process really uh, but it does give him like if, if if you're planting that idea that he his father he his father dies with with fisher believing that he thinks that he's a disappointment like the last final thing he says to him is you're a disappointment and then he dies he's already got a really strained relationship with him it does at least give that like that idea even if it breaks up the company gives back to fisher you know, this, 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 this completely different picture of his father and his father's relationship toward him and how his father felt about him and everything on that level. I can really, really love that. And I I really appreciate that. But at the same time, I'm infinitely more concerned, I think. And I, and I care a lot more about the story with Cobb and the story with Maul, because there's this mystery surrounding exactly what happens to Maul. Cause we see at one point, Ariadne goes down into this basically dream prison where, you know, he's got this elevator that he's built that goes to all these different memories, basically that he tries to keep her contained within because she like goes through his subconscious and kind of messes up his shit because he won't just give up on this reality nonsense and just join her in, in, in the real reality where she thinks she is. But of course that's his projection of her, but Uh, yeah. And I hate to interrupt, but I, I just love that visual metaphor of the elevator dropping into Cobb's subconscious and the fact that like the deeper the lift goes, the deeper he's buried the memories uh, I, I just think that's such a clever visual metaphor and it's such 
It's such a natural metaphor to use when you're talking about dreams, like you're dropping deeper into sleep. Uh, I think I think that's fantastic. And and Mal is a character too. Like uh, again, I I wish we had gotten to see more of their relationship, so that when she becomes this, because she is like the manifestation of guilt and grief. Um, that that is a projection of Cobb's subconscious, and you can sense—well, not even sense—like you can just feel his aching and his loss when he says, "Like in my dreams, we're still together," and that's why he's created this place where he can revisit yeah. uh, the, those dreams and memories. And it is tragic, but the only <laughs> the only time we see Mel is when she's like this. Uh, malevolent presence like almost like a almost like a horror movie villain at certain points it gets kind of creepy um but she is like this femme fatale figure and i just i just wish that we had gotten another side of her so that we would feel more for the relationship i guess it comes across in dicaprio's performance as well because what a performance He's let's talk so about the cast if we can good in this movie <laughs> dicaprio just blows it away He's so, I mean, I mean, and ultimately, and, and we're jumping around plot wise. So if you haven't ever seen Inception, if you're one of those 12 people that Loisos mentioned earlier in the review, then, you know, we are going to spoil the, the ever living hell out of the movie. But when you mentioned the guilt that that character carries around and when you mentioned the weight of all of that, like you get to the end of the movie and like, not only, you know, you mentioned he watches her kill herself in front of him. But not only does he watch her commit suicide, but it's his fault that she does it because ultimately he's the one that in, he's the one that completes inception on her. He's the one that plants the idea in her head that your world is not real. And it's just it's it's like they say mm -hmm. in the in the movie, like that idea just grows to just infect you and it just overwhelms you. So I think you had mentioned that before when you were talking about it. I honest to God love that idea like He's so desperate to break through to her. I mean, they're trapped in there for decades. You know, they're literally dreaming for like they're late. They're sleeping for a few hours, but literally they've been dreaming in, in this dream limbo like 50 years for yeah. 50 years. And he's he's so desperate. He wants to go back and see their children. He wants to escape. He wants to get back to the real world. So he plants this idea in in her head only wanting to save them and get back to their children, not realizing that that idea would take root. And even when they wake up that she would still say, my world is not real. I have to kill myself to wake up. And just the, the, the amount of tragedy that's built into that. And, and just the amount of, of, of pain and the amount of torment that Leo carries around. Like there's all sorts of random shots in this movie where he sees his kids with their backs turned to him or when he sees Maul and like, you can just see it on his face. Such mm -hmm. a great, great performance because he's carrying around that guilt. Like I said, not only did she kill herself, not only is he not able to see his kids, but it's his fault that he's in that. And he blames himself and he carries around this absolutely crippling guilt like i said faulted this movie is and i won't i won't i mean i love it i absolutely adore it but it i won't deny that it's got its faults especially looking at it from your perspective but i look at this movie as a character study of Cobb's character and it's fucking it's so good it's so good as just a character study of his character the guilt the torment that he carries around because he destroyed and and you hear the 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 passion and the love in his voice when he talks about he created this um 
he created this image of her and he's like, you're just a shade. You're, you're, you're not even close to as good and as perfect and as imperfect as she was. You're the best I can do, but you're not anywhere close to good enough. Just like how much he loves that character. What a performance by Leo. Just Absolutely. And, and out of the park. Yeah. And as, as you mentioned, um, but I wanted to chime in, like the, the ultimate catharsis of the movie is him learning to forgive himself and learning to kind of let her go yeah or let his you know past memories of her live in the past and continue forward that is a very emotional story and i see where you would connect to that um i just wish we had spent more time on it so that catharsis would hit home even harder um instead you know again it's like i guess just nolan wanted to pack cool stuff for the trailer and, and uh and have exciting action scenes because the action is fantastic in this movie let's make no mistake i mean there are some spectacular set pieces in this but um i i think you had mentioned earlier the amount of exposition in this movie um to me it's a little bit much um literally the first two acts of this movie are all exposition it's constantly question answer question answer that's the dialogue for Mm -hmm a majority of the or not a majority of the movie but it's a good chunk quite a bit quite a quite a big chunk of it is that um but you you need so i think if nolan had simplified the story then we wouldn't necessarily have that but you do need someone who is the audience surrogate someone who's introduced to this world and where you would have a million questions if you were her and that's ariadne played by ellen page who i mentioned in the pre-roll that i had a huge crush on Uh, due to Juno. So I was very pleased to see her in this movie as kind of her follow-up to that. Um, So she is constantly asking questions as the audience would be. And I'm still not exactly sure why she's there. (laughs) I guess because they needed someone who is good at designing like mazes and someone like an architect to create these elaborate dreamscapes. But um, why her? I'm not necessarily sure. But I think it's she is. It, I, from what I gather from it, and I mean, well, I just rewatched it again. But I mean, I, I've watched this movie <laughs> dozens of times. But I mean, basically, from what I get, like he goes to Michael Caine, who's literally in every Michael Caine. Film. <laughs> <laughs> he has you. three minutes of screen time. But uh, you know, he is Maul's father, at least you know from my estimation of it. And yes, he's the one that initially teaches. Cobb and Maul about this idea of shared dreaming and about you know architect building the dreams and the dreamer right. and the and the projections and all this the, all this whole stuff so you know it's it's Nolan's way of just introducing it's like you said Nolan needs to introduce a surrogate to the audience he needs to give us somebody because Cobb already understands it so Cobb's it would literally be Cobb sitting with his hands folded in front of him just talking at us for two hours if it was just Cobb doing it so we have to invent a plot point in the movie where Leo can't build the mazes anymore he can't be the architect anymore because he's a great architect but if he knows the layouts of everything Maul knows the layouts of everything and then she'll ruin everything because she wants him to just again live in those memories with her right you know? so yeah that's why they introduced the ariadne characters because because we need someone that we can basically explain literally everything that we're about to do so that way when you get i mean again like i said if you tried think about that final act all three layers of that dream all the insane stuff that's going on literally everything try to 
try to watch that. I would love for somebody to just watch that act. Like literally from the moment on the plane where the, the, the flight attendant presses the button and they go into the dream from there forward, I would love somebody to just watch that part of the movie and tell me what the hell is going on. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's a it's so, it's such a weighty concept. I feel how really, unless, unless again, you go with a different story. And I mean, that's a, that's a completely, I think that's probably more where you're landing than saying we can't, it's not so much that. Nolan explaining the way the world works to us is bad because you need to have a lot of that. But I think it's, it's the fact that he overcomplicates it with the heist plot Saito's rivalry with Fisher and all of those different elements that just get peppered into the movie that it's like, but why do I care about this? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I'll say again, dreamscape starring Dennis Quaid from 1984 did a very, very, very similar plot, but it's, under two hours it's like an hour and 40 something minutes so i'm just saying it can be simplified if you really wanted to but anyway um i I think i think the ellen page character definitely is helpful for the audience and she's such a wonderful actress and a great presence anyway that it's pretty easy to kind of place yourself in her shoes but overall i mean this is an international production uh, you know, shot in Hollywood, UK, Canada, France, Japan, Morocco. Like, and so you have an international cast to follow, which I think is great. It adds diversity to the movie. It adds, you know, everyone in the movie has their their job to do yep. and their area of expertise. So that really adds a lot to the movie. I think uh, Tom Hardy really stands out. His character, in seems, uh, he, he just has the best sense of humor out of all of them. And he's so cavalier that some of his line reads are just so funny because it's like this is his job he's used to this and he's he's just going to be so casual about it i'm still kind of unclear as to what his role is supposed to be he's like the dream forger but i don't know necessarily how that differentiates himself from the architect i guess just because he has the ability to like impersonate other people somehow again not really explained but you, you can use dream logic it's fine um I'm also confused. <laughs> well, again, that's kind of going pulling into plot that for the stuff. soundboard because I said it so many times for this review. I'm also confused. <laughs> <laughs> but like the the third level of the the dream that they go into is that Eames' dream? Is that Tom Hardy's dream? I'm trying to the remember movie, whose is whose. So the first yeah, one, the first one is. Uh, the chemist I know guy. Yusuf. Yusuf. Well, yeah. Yusuf. Okay, so Yusuf, I thought was the second level because the first level they're in the plane, right? And then, well, no, wait, hold on. No, now I'm the, trying to the think. The plane is the real world. Okay, yeah. The first and level then, is the the city with the the where it's raining because he had to pee when he when he when he went under. Oh, um, that's something I wanted to mention too. Thanks for bringing that up. I do appreciate the concept, which is supported by scientific research, that this that the stimulus of your conscious state informs your subconscious so for example like when Cobb is kicked into the kicked into the bathtub uh then water floods the environment in his dream right yeah and then when they enter the first dream layer then which is created by yusuf yusuf needs to pee so he, it's pouring down rain in the dream yeah. so i really appreciated those details i think that adds a lot to it yeah, so it's um, his so, is yes, the, the first, first one and then right. the, second the second level one, is the hotel the second one the hotel i believe the hotel is is the hotel Eames? 
Because the third one is actually Fisher, isn't it? Or is the second one Fisher? I can't remember now. No, it's uh, the hotel is Arthur's dream, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character. Oh, that's character. right. Yeah, that's My right. My confusion comes from the movie, I think, sets up that the snowy location is Eames' dream. But I'm confused by that because, like, in both... Okay, so in Yusuf's dream, the uh, Fisher's projections attack them... Um, and that kind of, I mean, that makes sense, but like if the third level of the dream was Eames dream, then that doesn't really add up because if it's Eames dream, then the subconscious projections that attack them, like why would they be attacking his dream if he created it? Like if it's part of his dream, why would, why would he create projections to attack him? Hold on. I'm trying to make sense of this. <laughs> okay, so the point of going into the third level was so that they could get into Fisher subconscious so that they could perform the inception. Yeah. So the third one would be Fisher's. I'm pretty sure. It had to have been. Yeah. But because again, Fisher's the dreamer the whole time. So Fisher's the one that's populating everything with all of his projections the whole time. I think that rides the way that it rides, it's all the way down. And now I now I'm now I've got to watch it again because now I've got to like study all this and, <laughs> and be like, wait, what? Because like it's that's the that, that's one of the things about this movie that I love though, is it because it always provokes questions. It always provokes more conversation and more analysis. Oh yeah. The more you look at it. Um, I, yeah, I think, yeah, because it's, it's the way that it's constantly Fisher's projections, no matter what level they're on, it's always Fisher's projections that are boom, 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 boom. Because again, the, the, the same thing's happening in the hotel. The projections are attacking, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, you know, so the same thing is happening all the way down. It's Fisher's, Fisher's projections populating, but it's just switching who, you know, wherever they are, like who the, who the, who the dream level is or whatever. So then when Fisher is shot and he goes into limbo, why why doesn't everyone go into limbo at that point if they're in his dream? Like why do the projections still exist? I think after it's Fisher's I think it is Eames' dream. I think you're right. Because the the first the first like when they first fall asleep on the plane, that's Fisher. That's them going into Fisher. I see. And then Yusuf is the first level going into the hotel which is Levitt's character which is the second level and then going into Eames so yeah I think that I think that that's the way that works because ultimately it's whoever the top level is that those projections filter all the way down no matter what my poor little brain there's lots of guns and fun boom booms <laughs> and explosives stop overthinking it <laughs> exactly exactly I am I am probably overthinking it because like I said there are spectacular set pieces Justin's not there- here and we can't say Loy sauce. It's a it's cannon, a cannon movie. movie. You can't. We can't. That's not the defense here. We can't use that. This week in epic film history. I'm on fire tonight. You know why? Pills. The flesh and blood IPA from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery. This thing is like sucking on a motherfucking grapefruit. Like it's like a, a grapefruit, cut it in half, and just started sucking on it like it was the biggest dick that I wanted to suck, and I wanted to jizz in my mouth.
there are a number of amazing shots of this movie. And if you haven't seen this movie, we're not going to spoil any of those specific shots. But they're they just they come out of nowhere. Like they're just you know you have those horror setup moments where the tension's building and the music swelling, and you really feel like something might happen. And sometimes it might, and sometimes it might not. He subverts your expectations in this movie really, really well. But then there's all these different moments where fucking all of a sudden there's a gator just fucking mouth just snaps up and just grabs something, and you're just like, Whoa! like. Seriously, you will need new draws. Corey Stahl, holy shit, what a terrible villain. Marvel, they just cannot, cannot seem to hit it out of the park and make a compelling villain if they tried. He's He is terrible, and the comic book, you know, showdown between the Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man that ends this film, it feels so tacked on. And you know what the problem is, and I'm going to get finger-pointy here for just a moment, here but it's both sides just shouting back at each other how big a pieces of shit they are and you can you can say it's not your side you can say it's the other side you can try to absolve whatever political affiliation you believe in versus the other no it's both it's both sides just literally screaming back and forth you're a piece of shit no you're a piece of shit no you're a piece of shit nobody ever has a positive discourse anymore nobody ever has just like an intelligent adult discussion about anything it's literally just like let's get everybody riled up let's get everybody pissed off let's get everybody angry like let's just scream your you're a, a piece of shit, whatever. Like, it, it, that does not do anything. It does not mean anything. It doesn't further anything. Like, you can't learn anything intelligent about somebody who may have a different, like, frame of mind of you. Like, we, we talk about movies on this show. We are very passionate about movies on this show. We talk about a lot of shit on this show. But at the end of the day, like, I like coming at a movie like... Well, like the Child's Play movie when I watched it and I really disliked it. Justin and the Sauce really liked it. Like, I like that discourse. Like, I like that back and forth because I want to understand where they're coming at it from and I want them to understand where I'm coming at it from. I don't want to get, like, to the end of it and just be like, well, you're a fucking idiot. You're a fucking piece of shit. You're fucking stupid. Like, people got to stop that shit, man. Like, you can have I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, d- I, definitely, I definitely wanted to stab you in the neck because <laughs> you didn't like it. But, no, uh, I get what you're I saying. I just it's, want it's, people it's... to not, like... To stop, like, the negativity's Dude. gotta stop. And I have to say, one of my least favorite movies of the year so far was Deadpool. I completely hated Deadpool. I need you to go go out behind Justin's house and, and give me food, because I am fucking starving. I, I don't have my double cheese. Ned Devine's, uh, I, I don't know what they did. I think they, they locked <laughs> up their trash inside the building, oh, which is stupid, Lord. and I can't get in. So Which I is need stupid. food. I need, I just, give me something, a double cheese. I'll take rocks. I don't give a shit. I live in a city. There's no rocks around. I just need sustenance. One, one of these Lord days, I really wanted to do a, a contest once <laughs> where I was going to have listeners send in their best I sucked a dick last night. And then I, we were going to give them some kind of prize. I don't know what, but. Oh, just man. Something. How about this? A dick. <laughs> Yeah. We could go. Is that dicks at your door.com thing? Does that still exist where you get like chocolate dicks in the mail? Like you just send people dicks? We could totally no, do we're that. Just gonna, listen, we're just going to set up like a pop up shop. We're going to set up a glory hole and we're going to have Loisaw stick his dingaling in the hole and they're just going to be able to come and have some of it. That's sure. sure. You know, I want to kick back over to Paul here for some uh, additional thoughts on Dawn. Just, uh, I mean, well, I mean, <laughs> um, I, I, you, Paul, I'm but... amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed by how much you guys love this film. Strong! (laughs) And pause for the soundboard. Apes! Together! 
<laughs> Listen, I wasn't going to do it until Paul said it. I, I really wasn't. Paul, tell me. Tell me this. Tell me this. All right. I'll put you on the spot here, man. Yep. What's a better summer blockbuster sequel? And Ooh, the, the Dark sequel. Knight doesn't count. Oh, then Dawn. Damn it. No, because it's the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight should <laughs> Literally. You, you can't bring that into the equation. My fucking least favorite part of this movie is when he comes down from the fucking skyscraper and the guy, the guy, the the Chinese cop walks walks up he to him says like, the original nice Bill to Johnson finally line. meet you. And I'm yeah. just like, hey, you never talk, you motherfucker. The standout for me is the rotating hallway sequence. That is, which is still an glorious, glorious, glorious to watch. Oh, it's like if you've ever, if you've never seen, I should say, the behind the scenes of that scene. I mean, basically, Nolan built that hallway for real on a rig and rotated the entire thing. So those are those actors literally running around in that hallway for real with a camera on a fixed position rotating with them. And then, you know, just you undoubtedly pull it out. And it's just like you're just watching these actors run through this straight hallway. Undoubtedly inspired by. Breaking two electric boogie. I mean, undoubtedly, where I'm sure Christopher Nolan is derived from. I'm sure Christopher Nolan watched Breaking Two and was like, "I have an idea. I need this. I need this (laughs) so so bad in my movie." (laughs) Hashtag Canon Quarantine. Go listen to our Breaking Two electric boogie review. But um, yes, that is just an absolute standout sequence. Uh, And actually, if you look into it. A surprising you'd you'd probably be surprised at how much of this film was pulled off practically in terms of the effects. I mean, it's Nolan, so I don't think people would be as surprised knowing if they know Nolan, if they know Nolan. But you look at the film or you look at, you know, just on the surface and you'd think that it would have just a ton of visual effects shots. Yeah. But it has relatively few in comparison to most blockbusters. Yeah. And that's just again, that's just speaks to Nolan's incredible mastery of filmmaking. Uh, he wants to do things for real. He likes to do things for real. Which and, is what uh, makes it amazing. Which is exactly because it's tangible. It's real. I mean, Dunkirk, which I think is an absolute masterpiece. Oh. All of the dogfight stuff, which could have very easily have just been rendered in a computer. That was done for real. And you feel it in your bones when you watch it. Mm-hmm. So th- for, for inceptions faults in terms of the story, just on a sheer spectacle level. And I, I actually, this goes for the Dark Knight films as well, which his Batman trilogy, again, you could pick apart a lot of stuff in terms of the plot, the writing. But when you look at it on a sheer blockbuster spectacle level, mind-blowing stuff. And I think that's where, I, th- I think that's where the marriage is. I think, I think that Nolan you know, say what you will about him, but I think in, in a lot of cases anyway, I think he knows where to make those sacrifices for the spectacle. He knows, you know, okay, I've got to, I've got to do a lot of heavy lifting in this plot and I've got to make a lot of it make sense. And I've got to, you know, explain a lot of, you know, wacky kind of out there concepts. I mean, it's not the first or last time Nolan would ever play around with like really far out there concepts. You think about it, a concept like the prestige, which is a movie I also absolutely adore. I love that movie probably even more so than this one. Maybe I don't even remember where my Nolan rankings are. We did that whole Nolan Megasode a few years ago. Look, go listen to that where a ton of us, a ton of people actually counted down all their Nolan rankings, but 
you know, and then you think about like a film like Interstellar where he's playing around with, you know, wormholes and, and, you know, time dilation in outer space with black holes and all these like really weighty, heavy duty sci-fi concepts. And I feel like there's at some point, like Nolan wants to write an intelligent script. And I think he's an intelligent writer and I think he's an intelligent filmmaker, but I think his intelligence comes not just from spouting off inane babble about, you know, dream layers and, you know, extractions and inceptions and all these different weighty concepts, but it's, it's about knowing where's the line between giving the audience just enough and letting the spectacle fill in the rest, letting the spectacle of it, like overtake all of it. Cause you're exactly correct. You can pick apart a lot of Nolan movies big time on plot, like big, 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 especially this movie. Like I, I definitely agree with you about Saito about Fisher about even realistically if you think about every single other character in this movie they're all exceptionally flat characters the only character with any depth or any kind of rounding whatsoever is Cobb period and argue so, arguably arguably Fisher but again not enough time is really spent on him um each aspect of this movie could have been given its individual movie. It's just, there's so much going really seriously, but, but Nolan is a big picture filmmaker filmmaker. And he always has been, um, this movie is certainly no exception. So when you start to study the script and the plot, you start to go, Hmm, wait, (laughs) for example, they introduce the concept of the kick and right. again, other people on the internet have probably talked to death about it and have discovered or they have a very clear idea of what a kick is. But to me, maybe I'm too dumb for this movie. <laughs> because, okay, so they present the idea that like, in order to wake someone up from a dream state, they have to be kicked, right? So like, when you're sleeping... The kick is the sensation of the kick is that like feeling of falling that you get um, that jolt that, yep. you know, that that the thing that jol- jolts you awake. Um, so like to wake yourself up or, you know, to be woken up from the dream state, you have to be woken, awoken in like the real world. Right. Um, or or like a previous level dream. Right. So like. First of all, they introduce the concept of the kick, and it doesn't really come back into play that much in the late in the latter half of the film because they explain that they're too sedated to be kicked. Um, no, they're too that... sedated to be killed. Okay, but because you can also you can also wake up in a dream. I mean, and that's established in the beginning of the movie where if you die in the dream, you find yourself you in wake limbo. up. No, okay. if you die in the dream, you wake up unless you're heavily sedated. And that's when you end up down in limbo. The kick always works. The kick always works because in the in the movie, like there's well, in, in, in especially that final action set piece with the three different dream layers. The first kick is when the van goes off the bridge. They miss the first kick because they're still all like Saito got shot. All this different stuff is going. So they have to wait for the second kick, which is that jolt when the van hits the water. And that's why they have to simultaneously synchronize uh, down in limbo where Ariadne kicks Fisher out the window. That has to be synchronized with uh, Fisher getting the paddles, which the kick is what breaks him up. The hospital blowing up is the kick that sends them back up to the hotel. The hotel, um, there's no gravity. So 
the elevator getting blown up and and shooting up the elevator shaft and 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 the people going from which is so cool just in zero gravity like wrapping them up in like phone cables and pushing oh, when them they're like suspended when they're suspended in yeah, midair that's yeah, the that's second awesome. kick and then that has to ride up to the first one which of course like i said is the van hitting the water so the kick always will will pull you out the kick but it will has always to be synchronized if there's multiple okay. dream levels yes uh, okay so two things like you could just like you you can only like I and I think from the way that it establishes it in the first one because remember there's a dream within a dream at the beginning of the movie too, and yeah. Cobb when they do the first kick Cobb only comes back one dream level because there wasn't a simultaneous kick on the next level, like so you can just use the kick to go back up to the level you were on before like to to return to the previous dream level or whatever. It's but it's just, also established. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I'm just saying, I think at, at the end of it, at the, at the very end, when they're all in the in all those endings, they just synchronize it. So that way they can get pulled all the way back out all at once, because otherwise they didn't want to get killed by the projections, because, again, if they died, they would go to limbo. At least that's my best estimation of it. But it's also established in limbo. Like if you die. In, OK, so if you die in the dream when you're heavily sedated, then you find yourself in limbo. Um, but it's also established that like dying in like killing yourself in limbo will also, also kick you back to the previous level. Yes. That you, that Which you is died what happens in. to Fisher. Okay. So I, I don't know, like being in limbo doesn't seem to be that much of a, I don't know. It doesn't seem like th- there's that many stakes involved when you're just in limbo and you can just kill yourself and kick yourself back to the next or the previous dream level. Um, I don't know. (laughs) And And I don't think, I I don't think there are that many stakes. I think, I think the stakes are only derived from this idea of needing to plant the idea in Fisher's head, because again, they need to finish the job. And I mean, realistically, I mean, I guess when you look at the heist plot, the heist plot is just, it's just a means to an end for Cobb. The, the, the heist plot is a means to an end because Saito can pick up a phone and immediately make all of his charges disappear, which is still still the dumbest thing about this movie to me. Like, I love a lot of things about this movie. That is the stupidest thing. It's like he's got like murder charges, like he's wanted for like murdering his wife. He can't enter wife. the U.S. He can't enter the, the end, U.S. without like, being arrested. But is that resolved because he just arrives? Yeah, in because Saito LA picks Airport. up the phone on the on the plane and Saito makes that one phone call to who? To, to you don't need to know because he's that powerful. <laughs> That's who I suppose I make he has one influence. phone call and. You walk right through customs when we land in America, you know, that's, that's basically, so I, I I think that that's the only thing that they're, that they're really trying to leverage is just waiting for that moment for the idea that seed to be planted because they have to succeed so that Cobb can go home. Like ultimately that's why kind of all of them are doing the job because there's never any money discussed. There's never any like payment for this service or anything discussed like from saito to like hey what are you getting paid for this although how do they earn a living one time one time in the movie i think it's arthur joseph gordon lovett's character says something to i think it's eames hardy's character about a share or something about like getting part of his share or whatever i think it's like the only time that money is even like hinted at in the movie Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly they're probably getting paid something for it. I mean, Saito is a character who is so wealthy that he just straight up buys an airline because it seemed neater than trying to like get 
control of a part of a plane. <laughs> well, he's rich. I mean, yeah, exactly. So, but like, I don't know. I guess to me, the movie doesn't do a good enough job explaining of like, I guess it makes sense once you break everything down and things are explained in the movie kind of very quickly and it's brushed over that there that you can't be kicked out of a dream unless it's synchronized or whatever. Um, But like it doesn't to me, it doesn't do a good enough job explaining how someone can be pushed into a bat how someone being pushed into a bathtub can kick them awake but being in a violent car crash that involves the van spinning off into the road and into a lake can't kick them awake right right and yeah. for that moment and for that matter like the the fact that the gravity uh, of the um in the hotel hotel the yeah. hotel is affected by the car being in complete free fall but then the third level dream isn't affected by that yeah <laughs> okay we can we can move those past are, this those i'm those just kinds like of things where i i think eventually in in you know it's not that it's not that all of them aren't great questions to ask about it i think at some point this is what i would this is what i think i mean by that perfect marriage between an intelligent enough script with enough depth married to insanely amazing spectacle because yeah. at some point you have to just stop asking questions and You're just right. let the movie happen to you. No, <laughs> I, I know. At some point. And, and to me, like, which just is, as I mentioned, fair that people that are going to be like, but Nick, you could do the same thing with Snowpiercer. No, I can't because that train would literally not be able to run forever. Shut up. Okay. Well, <laughs> as I mentioned, I'm able to enjoy Snowpiercer in the same way that I enjoy Inception. I'm not I'm not hating on this movie. Um I just I have questions, yeah. that's all. And that's um, the good thing. That's a great thing about this movie that 10 years later we're still able to sit here and we're still able to tease out so much. We're still able to draw so much discussion out of this movie that has been discussed literally to death probably everywhere on the internet by now. But well, and here's something that I hadn't I hadn't heard of before, before I started researching the movie for this review, but the whole movie could be viewed as a metaphor for filmmaking and the film watching experience. So Christopher Nolan in an interview explained that he wrote each character to, to, to be a parallel to a role that is used in filmmaking. Yep. So Cobb is the director. Arthur is the producer Ariadne is the production designer. Eames is the actor. Saito is the studio. And Fisher is the audience. Which I think that level of insight is really quite brilliant. I think it helps to even blur even further the line between fantasy and reality, which is like a theme of the movie in and of itself. Um, But just looking at it that way is so true because each, each, you know, member of the, of the team of the extraction team has a very clear parallel to their respective roles. Yeah. How cool is that? I I've mean- <laughs> always loved that. I've, I've always loved that, that concept and that idea. And the film prompts debate as well. I mean, we have to talk about the, the ending shot, the final scene of the film that, I mean, people back and forth constantly when the movie came out would debate back and forth 
Is he still in the dream? Is he awake? Nick, what do you have to say on this See, subject? See, I'm going to give the same answer that Nolan gave, um, but it's because That's, it's the oof. answer that I also derived at the end of the movie. It is a thought-provoking final shot, and it does make you wonder. And there's the whole, you know, is, is he wearing his wedding ring or not? If he's wearing his wedding... But it doesn't matter. The whole thing that plagued him the entire movie is his guilt over inception over planting the idea in his wife's head that made her kill herself that took him away from his children and you know destroyed his family he is finally able to put that behind him and let it go and let her go that's why the whole movie he can't see his kids faces and then at the end of the movie he finally sees his kids faces like that is his reality now like he has accepted like he's let everything go like he's finally let go and he's finally able to forgive himself and move on because he's otherwise he's going to miss his whole life with his children too, you know? Well, yeah, absolutely. That's a very apt point. And I also will point out that it's symbolic because I need to do more research on this because this is just what I picked up really more this time when I revisited the movie in preparation for this. But him leaving the top spinning on the table is him kind of, because I don't think, the the spinning top I don't think is Cobb's totem, it was Mal's totem. It was Mal's, yeah. So, it it's not even necessarily, uh, it doesn't even necessarily have anything to do with him or his reality, but it's symbolic of him leaving, as I mentioned earlier, that that me- those memories of her behind. And it's also um, it's also a literal representation of it too because. You think about the rest of the times in the movie where even if you want to say that after she died, he made it his totem, whatever the case may be fine, but you see how frantic he is when he comes out of dream states in other times in the movie where he's spinning that top to figure out what kind of reality he's in. It happens so many times in this movie in at the, at the ending shot, he spins it and he just walks away from the table because he does, he, he has found his reality. This is, this is his reality now, you know, that, that, yeah, absolutely. Although, and I'm wondering if this was intentional, but it's established that the totem is used to separate your dreams, like your dreams from someone else's dreams, right? Yeah. So that it's so that way, you know, you're not in, you're not in a dream. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I, I guess I was just confused because I didn't know if it was like, if if it if it worked for your own dreams or they only worked for when you were in someone else's, I think dream. it does still work for his own dreams because he's still using it. Like when they go to meet the chemist, the first well, I guess they're in that weird shared dream with all the people that literally go there all the time to just dream all the time. That's literally all they do. But you know, even when he's with Ariadne and he's doing the you know the different tests and you know he, he she's going into his memories and seeing the things in his memories, he's still spinning the top when he comes out of those as well. I think it's just a way of. You know, the top will not ne- the top will never stop spinning in, in a dream. The top will just keep spinning and spinning and spinning when it's in a dream and it will topple if it's in reality. So I think that that's all that it's meant to represent. I don't think it necessarily matters whose dream it is. Okay. I'm curious as to how the other totems work, though, in that sense, because like Arthur's is a loaded die. We never really learn what Yusuf's totem is or what Eames's totem is. Saito, I don't even know if he has a totem. Like, we're never told whether he does. Ariadne has the chess piece that she, like, drills a bit out to change the weight of it. 
Like, I don't know how those necessarily are meant to work unless it's like they're way heavier or lighter in the dream than they should be or whatever. It doesn't really explain those. I mean, the, the top I can buy more because it's the, the motion of it. But I mean, I guess it would be maybe the weight of it. Like, does Arthur roll the dice and pick it up and he just knows based on the weight of it if he's in the real world or if it's heavier or lighter? He's not. I don't know. Like, if it's a loaded dice, it would always land on one side. So does it land on any side? In a, in a dream and even if that explains the dice how do you explain the chess piece because you know i don't know i don't know it, you're again it's it's one of those well, things where it's just one question leads to another question leads to another question the, mo- the movie establishes that the that the totem has kind of like a unique property known only to known only to the person who bears it yeah so i guess we can excuse those things um but anyway, I just remember the the ending being a point of conversation for just about. Well, there's still it still is for just you know, about people everyone. Will still, yeah. it, it's the same way with the uh, with with Total Recall. Like people will still bicker to this day about you know. Oh no, he's definitely in a dream. Oh no, he's definitely awake because oh the wedding ring's there. The wedding ring's not there. Oh the top wobbles or whatever, but it doesn't show the top actually toppling over. So he's still spinning. Still and, spinning. You know yeah. like. I like I said I I know Nolan has given that answer so it's it's fine it's it's a cop out if you want to call it a cop out but that's exactly how I felt about it when I saw it as well because again I view this as a character journey for Cobb this entire film is Cobb's emotional journey to let go of the guilt and kind of torment of his wife's death of the fact that he caused his wife's death you know right. that you know so that's think- what it's all about like it doesn't matter at the end of the day because he's forgiven himself for that he's let that go that was yeah, what and- he needed to do yeah and as i mentioned i think that the top represents kind of his inability to let go oh for sure and the fact that he leaves it on the table spinning at the end is kind of completes yeah. his journey so it doesn't really matter like it's irrelevant whether or not like the t- yeah. the top it, it stops or whether it, it really keeps really doesn't matter. It it really really doesn't matter. At least not to me. Some right. people it does. Some people are gung ho. Like we'll fight about it probably. <laughs> Trying to prove it's it's this or that or it's one way or the other. But yeah, no, not really, not really. Yeah, we haven't really talked much about the score of this movie yet. I adore the score for this movie. I just, uh, first of all, to use uh, Edith Piaf, just my God, love it. But then, oh, the, the score, this movie has a pulse pounding tension to it, which I think is incredible. And I think it sustains itself really, really well. I think this is also incredibly well paced. Like, even if you want to ask a million questions about what's going on necessarily, like once it launches into gear, especially once it gets into the dream levels and whatnot, like you're all you're along for this ride. And I think that the between Zimmer's score, this film is also shot so beautifully. This film is gorgeous. Like, this is why Nolan is the master that he is, because he works with amazing people like Hans Zimmer you know, that are able to just Wally Fister, Wally Fister, you know, who transform something, you know, just make it just beyond beautiful, you know, like something that just transcends movies and just turns it into just legitimate art, you know, like where it's just 
I, that's one of the reasons why plot aside, like all the questions about all the twisty turny, all the others, it's a gorgeous movie. It's so beautiful. It's so well edited, so well paced. The score is a knockout. Cinematography is a knockout. All the practical, like, again, all this shit is real. Like 99% of everything in this movie that you're seeing, they built it and they did it for real. They didn't really flip a whole city upside down, guys. Don't, don't at me. But, you know, that's, that's the genius of Nolan. It's that even if you go into it and even if you have those questions and even if, the script isn't necessarily an out of the park home run for you. Your appetite is still sated so much by everything else that you're getting. You're literally at like a full, full buffet when you're at a Nolan film. And that's why I think it's such a beloved film and why it did so well financially, because even as you mentioned, or as you said, even if you're sitting there in the audience frustrated and confused by the story, yeah. like I was, you're still able to appreciate so many more elements about it. Um, and it all works together. Like it's all part of the the greater uh, machine, so to yeah, speak. Exactly. And Hans Zimmer's thunderous, massive, epic score certainly helps because you're sitting in the theater and you just feel it vibrating in your butt. Because it's just so, <laughs> the score is just so huge. <laughs> and people, Blah. people, absolutely. And like I say, people rip it off. People, um, there are, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of YouTube videos of people using Hans Zimmer's score to this movie for their own like music videos or creations or whatever. So um, it's just such an influential thing. And I mentioned Wally Pfister, you know, longtime Christopher Nolan collaborator, shot this movie so, so brilliantly. 35 millimeter film, that's the only way to do it. But it became a movie that you had to see in IMAX. That's how I saw it. Like it just became... Uh, like an event, which very few films today are. Well, it's the same so. reason why the hype for a movie like Tenet is as high as it is. And this is why Christopher Nolan gets carte blanche with a studio because he's become a brand in and of himself. Yeah. He makes like he makes he he can take a wholly original idea that's just completely different. Like, you know, first he makes over a billion dollars making a superhero movie, which fine. If you want to try to tie a lot of that to Heath Ledger's death and everybody being so curious about it, I'm sure it had a good amount to that. But even still, this movie made what? $800 million, you said? Like Worldwide, yeah. That's insane for just a, a one-off original. Like, that's crazy. That's why yeah. people line up time and again and time and again. And all you have to do is say from director Christopher Nolan and people immediately know exactly what you're talking about. They immediately put themselves right there. Oh, Dark Knight, Inception, that guy. And even if you want to go further back, like Memento, like you're right there. Like in a lot of people, that's enough. A lot of people, it does not matter. So that's why Nolan films are truly event films. That's why Warner Brothers gives him a 250 million dollar budget to make tenant you know that like that's nolan's probably the only filmmaker alive today that can get a budget like that to make whatever kind of movie he wants with not so much interference from the studio you know most productions of that level there are producers literally like jumping like hand springing over each other trying to jump into the production and get their hand into the cookie jar and be like oh well what are you doing here what are you doing here whatever you know we've seen that with how many countless superhero properties you know 
but Nolan is like, he's proven himself time and again that you give him the tools, you give him the budget and he will deliver. And like I said, I, I have, I have problems with interstellar. I think, see, that's another huge conversation that we could definitely have. And it'd be the flip side of this conversation because it would be me asking a whole bunch of questions about interstellar that I think don't make a lot of sense. Still a great spectacle, whatever. I think I just, yeah, I think I just feel the emotion Tr- yeah. that, that that's which in. it definitely has a lot of absolutely has a lot of but i think that's that's even when nolan doesn't necessarily hit it out of the park you're never gonna miss like like just as us and i know i speak for justin when i say that as well you're never gonna miss a, a nolan opening night i'm never gonna miss a nolan opening night justin's well, not gonna unless miss it opens in the midst of coronavirus which it won't which <laughs> which it which there's no way it will so you know, in in many ways, I can respect Nolan wanting to be the first event blockbuster that opens up movie theaters. But uh, which it's just what not better a re- movie? I mean, realistically, what better movie to bring audiences back to theaters than a Christopher Nolan movie? Because everybody would want to go to see it. But yeah, in the largest format possible, exactly. And Tenet, Tenet, very similar to Inception. Very little about the plot is known. We don't know exactly what we don't Tenet know is about, shit. except for the fact that it deals with some kind of time manipulation uh, element, just yeah. like Inception dealt with dream manipulation. This is time manipulation. So I'm very interested in seeing it um, when it's eventually released, probably not any time in the near future, at least until the fall, probably not until next year, but um, I'll be there. Absolutely. So, yeah. Anyway, um, that's Nolan, baby. That's Nolan, baby. So, I mean, final thoughts. I, I, I really do admire the scale and ambition of this movie. I know that I asked a lot of questions that some of you may have the answers to. So if you do, then hit us up on the Hobster's Dumpster <laughs> or on social media and tell us, uh, Loisos, you moron. Did you even watch the movie? Here's where I can fill you in on what you're missing. But to me, I just feel like even besides that, there are ideas and themes in this movie that I feel like are explored much more effectively in Nolan's own memento. Even the prestige, I think, is much better at making the audience kind of second guess the reality of the film. The prestige is so fucking good. Oh, that movie does not get nearly enough credit. That movie is aesthetic. I just want to live inside the world of that movie, even though it's kind of a stone cold bummer. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, masterful, masterful filmmaking either way. Um, as Ellen Page's character says in the film at one point, it's just pure creation. Yeah. And that's something that you can apply to any of Nolan's films. So I enjoyed looking back at this movie and revisiting it for its 10th anniversary, even though it's frustrating, even though as a whole, I don't love it but I love a lot of things about it. Justin, how do you feel about the movie? He said that he sucked the blood from the penis and put the balls in his mouth. Always, always with the balls in the mouth. I love this movie. Uh, I make absolutely no secret of the fact that I love this movie. All valid questions, all exactly valid questions. And I think that's when cinema is best. That's what really makes for really great cinema when, when you don't know what's happening? Well, no, I wouldn't even say you don't know what's <laughs> happening, but you can sit and it provokes all these questions in you. Like, 
you're you're kind of fascinated by it in a way and i still feel that way even when i watch it even now and like i said i watched the hell out of this movie back when it came out like i would legitimately like i probably watched this thing like two three times a day at times like i was one of those people who back in like 2010 when this movie came out i was obsessed with it i absolutely loved it i wanted to dig into every tiny little minutia of it and then for whatever reason it just fell by the wayside and i just never revisited it until you know i watched it for the review here this week and just watched Watching back through the movie, I just remembered all of the amazing things that I absolutely loved about it. And I tried to tease out a lot of different things about it that I hadn't really considered or hadn't really thought about in a long time, you know, and that's, like I said, I love this movie, the absolute just mind blowing spectacle of it. Like you think about again, that shot of, you mentioned it before with Leonardo DiCaprio, when he gets the kick and the water starts to flood in and then you go into the dream and all that water's flooding in to the room it's just there's there's so many just absolutely gorgeous shots by wally fister in this film hans zimmer's score the performances in this movie even though all the characters are flat as hell aside from dicaprio are all across the board great everything about this movie fires on literally all cylinders and even when it fails i think it fails spectacularly i think it fails with so much ambition it like I think if Nolan has any failing in some movies more than others, especially, it's just that he tries to go. He, he, he reaches for, for the, the stars. Yeah, he swings for the fences, and sometimes it's like a it's like a it's like a triple, you know. And then sometimes it's so sometimes it's way over the fences, you know. But it's it's you're always going to get some grandiose, just great spectacle out of Nolan, and that's why Nolan is the filmmaker that he is today. That's why people love him as much as they do. 10 years. Oh my god, I feel old. Daddy's going to spank you with the belt now. Now how old do you I, feel? I feel I feel so elderly. <laughs> it's the beard. It's the beard. That it's, has to be it. That's what that's what uh, that's what does it to you. But again, ladies and gentlemen, next week on the show, do not miss the return of Hashtag Canon Quarantine. We're going to be riding that Canon Quarantine train for a little while. I don't think we're revisiting any other anniversaries on the main show for a little bit of time. So we've got a lot of those coming up on, on various Monday episodes with various guests. So we'll be sure to drop all that information when they pop up in the feed. Of course, if you're subscribed to us, you'll be able to find us. Loisos, where can they find our amazing show on the web if this is their first time listening through? They can find us on our social media at Epic Film Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. They can join in the conversation on our Facebook fan group, The Hobster's Dumpster, where you can hang out with us and chat about movies. And uh, maybe even get a glimpse of the Hobster himself. I just want you to get me drunk right now. And I had to, I had my my pointer just hovering over those Hobster buttons too. It's like yeah, I just channeled that right through to you. You just picked that right up. You can also listen to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts: iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, etc. Just go to epicfilmguys.com. One night, gross epicfilmguys.com baby <laughs> so yeah hashtag canon quarantine ladies and gentlemen will return next week on the show justin presumably will return next week on the show i don't know we, I we seem not. to have really nice discussions back and forth whenever he's not here he's not constantly jumping in here and talking about dicks and talking about you fucking pilish all that hobstery goodness that he likes to talk about you know maybe we just gotta lock the door and not let him back in here i don't know but 
ladies and gentlemen we love you we really really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show let us know again what you think of inception and what you think of our thoughts on inception all over social media wherever you can find us uh you guys are wonderful until next time we will see you at the movie.